Thank you so much for joining us at Gold Country Church in Auburn. We are excited to share this message with you and hope you are encouraged by it. Join us in person at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. Okay, hey, um, so one of the things, you know, Tim and I were talking about creating um, a little bit more of an opportunity to maybe kind of engage with us this morning while you're kind of at your houses doing your thing, you know, uh, asking your kids to sit quietly so you can pay attention. I know how that goes, so good luck. Um, but one of the things I would like to do this morning, I actually, I don't have like, like a PowerPoint or any, any slides to share, and that's on purpose. Because um, I actually want to invite you right now, kind of while I'm, while I'm rambling on, if you have an actual real Bible, and maybe even like a journal or a notebook, and you can follow along with me today uh, with that, that would be awesome. And, and just really like as we're going, if, if you want to open up your Bible and, and kind of, I, I want to kind of swing this as, as less of me preaching and, and us sort of going through kind of um, a, a study of Scripture together, although you're not here to engage, and I feel like I'm just talking to myself in my bedroom. We're going to do our best to do this. So I'm going to go ahead and just assume you have a Bible and something to write with if you're like a note taker and, and that's helpful to you. Um, feel free to do that because um, we're going we're gonna to go through some pretty, pretty cool stuff today. And I just want to reiterate, you know, Craig kind of mentioned it last week, kind of question of why is there like a bunch of different people sort of um, coming up and, and speaking through Acts. And I think one of the one of the cool things, as Craig said, about Acts is that, it, you know, there's all these, this community of believers who are trying to figure this thing out together, and it's this really neat image. And so for us to kind of come up here and get different voices in this thing is neat because we all sort of have these different um, perspectives on, on and, and we all have these individual relationships with the Lord. And so as we all kind of share and teach out of this, it's coming from our own personal walk. And it's really neat. And I also want you guys to know that, um, just kind of like encourage you that none of us are, are these like biblical, biblical scholars. I mean, maybe Tim is. I'm certainly not. Um, but, but I hope that that's an encouragement to you in that, you know, we can all sort of, we live in a, in a, in a country and in, in an era where we're blessed to have the Word of God in front of us and, and really accessible and in our modern language in a way that we can understand and for us to really be able to not have to wait for somebody else to kind of teach us about it, but we can actually dive into this on our own. And it's really good to kind of hear what other people have to say about Scripture and how they interpret it and, and teach on it. People have spent their lives studying it. It's really important to lean into them, but it's also just as important for us to read through it through the lens of our relationship with the Lord and, and what it means to us. So so as I'm speaking today and, and, and teaching, I hope you understand that the um, this is coming from, from me and my walk with the Lord and how um, I interpret this as I read it. So, so it's kind of fun, and I would just encourage you guys to do the same as well. This is not anything special or magical. It's just normal folks trying to follow, follow the Lord. So, man, guys, I, you know, I don't know. The times are just getting stranger and stranger. I, it's just we've kind of just kind of owned up to the fact that this is how it's going to be for a while. And you know, I know, um, I don't know if you guys know, I, I run Young Life here in Auburn, and we're, we've been constantly trying to figure out, you know, how we, how we connect with kids and do things in a new way, and it's just, it's, it's kind of uncharted waters here, this whole um, social distancing thing and, and quarantine life, and it's, it's really strange. You know, even, I was at CVS parking lot yesterday, I saw a guy selling toilet paper out of the back of his car. It was really weird. He looked a lot like Craig. Yeah. There's a driver. He looked like a high school student. Also looked just like our youth pastor, Matthew, so I'm not sure. Make sure you guys continue to support the church through this time so that Craig and Matthew don't have to continue to sell toilet paper out of the back of their car. Thank you for the two of you laughing, because I'm not sure if anybody at home is even listening. So thanks for, it makes me feel. Um, no, but honestly, like I, I went to the store and I came home and I didn't have very much. And my kids were like, hey, dad, did you get toilet paper? And I was like, no. They're like, well, why not? I was like, because we have some. And they're like, what happens if we run out? I was like, well, we have two really nice garden hoses. So I'm just going just gonna to do that, right? What do we? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It might have been 
Homemade, yeah. Bidet? That's okay to say. That's a real thing. We can say bidet. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, honestly, like, why toilet paper? Why is that the thing? I'm so confused. When, it first, when I first went to the store, I'm like, toilet paper, you know, I think it's like this thing that happens. You know, I don't know if like one guy went to the store and just like had a thing for toilet paper and then somebody else saw the dude had like three, three rolls in his thing and he's like, hey, maybe, you know, he, he got a bunch of toilet paper. Maybe I should get a bunch too. And then and another guy got a bunch. All of a sudden, it's like three dudes like bought all the toilet. Like, why the toilet paper? I understand other things, but but it is. It's this weird phenomenon that happens. Like, I went to the store the other day, and there was I went to get a, a bag of rice. Just I just needed one bag, but there was only two left. And in my mind, I'm like, do people know something I don't? Should I be buying more than one bag of rice? Like, I just came here to get normal things, and I felt like I needed to buy both bags. It was a real, like... There's a real issue. I was kind of battling in my mind. I ended up just buying the one, you know, but man, it's, it's, it's strange. You know, I think it all kind of comes out of this, like this, I'm sorry, I'm kind of like all over the place with my thing here. It comes with the, as this, this idea of, you know, we kind of get, we get fearful. We get fearful of what's going to happen. And fear is a really powerful emotion. It makes us do crazy, crazy stuff. It makes us buy 20 rolls of toilet paper at a time. And it's showing up, you know, or as soon as the doors open the grocery store so we can be the first one in. It's, it's crazy when we, we're the fear of the unknown and the fear of what's going to happen. We, we just do crazy stuff. Um, but it's really fun because today we're going to also talk about how the absence of fear can make you do some pretty crazy stuff as well. And there were some guys who lived this way, who lived kind of absent of the fear of the world. And they were the apostles. And we've been talking about them for a few weeks now in this book called Acts, which is a really, really cool book in the Bible. Once again, just to reiterate, written by the same author who wrote Luke, Dr. Luke himself. He wrote Luke and then Acts. He kind of, and you know, a lot of biblical scholars actually believe that this, this was written to be maybe even one fluid story, or if nothing else, kind of two volumes of, of an account. So they do, are supposed to flow together um, and, and, and so we have this opportunity where Jesus has risen and he's gone, he's ascended into heaven and now his, um, his disciples are out spreading the good news about who he is and what life with him um, is like. And they, they were fearless in how they did it. And so today I'm picking up um, in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to that, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. I'm really thankful that Joey Montoya spoke last week. Oh, well, not that it's always hard to follow up because he's a, he does a great job. But when we were sitting in a room a few months ago talking about who's going to kind of speak on what, and then and then Acts chapter five, the first half came up, which is which is really uh, it's just not a fun passage. And you know, it's like, hey, who's gonna who's gonna share on this? And it's like crickets, you know. And Craig's like, Montoya is going to do it. We got him, which is perfect. We'll just throw Montoya under the bus every time. He did a wonderful job, and he took it really well. So I'm glad that I get to follow up with um, something that's a little, little easier to talk about and not quite as, uh, not quite as out there and, and kind of grim. So we're going to start um, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to kind of skip ahead a little bit and just kind of tell you what's going on. So, so once again, the apostles are just going crazy. They're just telling everybody about Jesus, and they're doing it right in the middle of, of the temple, kind of where the, the religious leaders are, the ones who are opposing to them. They're like right in the middle of all of that, and they're sharing this life with Jesus with people, and they're, and they're told not to over and over again, and they continue to do it. And then it says that they actually get, they actually get arrested for it, and they get locked up, and then it sort of just casually says that like an angel came and like let them out. Like it's like, a, it just sort of, you know, no big deal, an angel came and just let him out of jail. And then, and then all of a sudden, like, what? Like, how did that understand? And, and so, and the angel lets him out, and, he, and the angel says to him, he says, go stand in the temple courts and tell all about, tell the people all about this new life. That's all the angel wants him to do. Hey, go and just tell people about this new life, this new way of life, of what it is to follow the living God. Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And so they go, they do it, even though they already got locked up for it and they know they're going to get busted, they do it anyway. They continue to share the message of life with Christ. And, and, and when the, the, the Sanhedrin, kind of the religious leaders, come to get them out of jail, and they realize the guards are still there, the jail's still locked, but they're not inside anymore. 
They're like, what? What? I don't understand. So now they're super mad because they just think these guys keep scamming them, scamming them. So they finally, they go out and they bring them in again. And it's pretty funny. They said that they, um, they were kind of careful how they brought them in because they were afraid that their followers might, might stone them. Um, but obviously they didn't. So they bring, they bring the guys in before the Sanhedrin, which is kind of a, a group of religious leaders um, who, who are also lawmakers. And they bring them in front of them. We're going to pick up here in verse 28 where they're being questioned by the high priest. And he says this, he says in verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, meaning Jesus, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And then Peter, in verse 29, and the other apostles, they reply to them, they speak up. And they say, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. And God exalted him on his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to the repentance and forgive their sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So they say, stop preaching about Jesus, stop spreading the good news, and their reply is to share the good news with them. They're standing in front of them, and then they, they just, they preach the gospel here in three sentences to the Sanhedrin. I mean, they're being so defiant, but it's because they fearlessly and recklessly are following Christ. I mean, I mean, there, there's this this, in, this enormous amount of, of trust, and, and, and they're not fearing man. Certainly they fear God. We see that um, kind of previously in what Montoya spoke about last week. But they fear God in, in a way where they, it's not that they're afraid of him. It's that, like it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like they understand who he is, right? Like if we, they would have remembered when Jesus spoke the words, we're going to flip real quick to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, kind of here at the end, this is kind of the beginning of what is known as, as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, uh, verse 18. And Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And then the last sentence he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, all authority has been given to me. And they actually believed this, that, that they were following the one who had all authority on heaven and on earth, that he held that authority and that he is with them. And they actually believed that and, they, and it showed the way they lived. And they not only believed that, they believed that and also in the perspective of believing that he also is good, that all authority has been given to this one who is all good and all loving and all powerful. So what in the world do they have to fear of man? There's nothing to fear. So the, the fear that they have of God is the beginning of their wisdom, and they lean on that understanding of him. And like Tim said a couple weeks ago, they were, not, they were not schooled, and they were not educated. They just were close to Jesus. Their proximity to Jesus is what set them apart, and their understanding of who he was. And it caused them to live radically. They did crazy stuff for, for the Lord and for each other. I mean, they did things that don't make any sense in the eyes of, of our modern world, the way that they supported and loved and cared for each other in their community. They were in it together. As I'm going through this today, I kind of have four different points, and with each one, I have a, a, a little, just one challenge that I want to leave us with, a tangible thing that we can do related to this. So my first point today was that this, these apostles, these disciples, follow Jesus fearlessly and recklessly. And my challenge is for us to do it. And one, one really tangible thing, I've been thinking about this a lot and praying a ton lately in the middle of this whole quarantine issue. And really my heart has just been bleeding for folks in our community who are struggling in this time. I'm like, man, there are so many people around us that are struggling now and then in the coming months are going to be struggling even more. And I can't not even imagine. And I don't know, I feel lost so many times. I'm like, I don't even know how to how to help, because I can't, like, just show up to their house, or can't, like, what do I even, what do I even do, and I was praying about this a lot, and talking to different folks, and Tim and I talked about it quite a bit, and, and then, and then I had the Lord, the Lord put this really scary thing on my heart, 
and um, but I couldn't shake it. And, and it, made me, it made me think of these apostles, how they lived fearlessly and recklessly and entrusted everything they had to God to take care of them and, and their people. And, and so one of the things that um, we decided to do, and I talked to Craig about this a few days ago, and he was like just immediately him and Jennifer and the church staff here just made this work. And it was, it was incredible. I love this church so much. Their heart is so much to pour out and support our community. It's incredible. So, so the thing that, that um, is, we're setting up and that the church has set up to make this really a seamless deal is, is a, basically a fund with, within the church um, where if you or somebody you know needs assistance during this really hard time, financial assistance specifically in this avenue, that the church has the ability to help with that through us giving to that fund. And so one of the things that my wife and I decided to do was to actually, when we, when we get our stimulus checks, whenever, I don't know if they're going to come like this week or in like four months, I really have, I hear all these different things. But whenever that happens, we've decided to, to take that, that money, although my wife and I are by no means um, in... It, you know, have tons of money. But at this point in our life, our, our income has not yet been affected. It certainly could be, you know, the longer this goes on. But at this point, we've been blessed by unaffected income. And so we would like to take that money, um, at least a large portion of it, and, and put it in to this fund at the church. And it's called COVID-19. So um, we, we would also like to sort of say like, hey, let's, let's all do that if you're able to. If you're one of the ones who's been blessed to, to not be affected financially during this time, we would encourage you to say, hey, let's all, let's all help each other out. Let's, when we get those checks, if, if, if you haven't been affected, pretend like you don't, you never even saw it, and just give it back to those who are really struggling right now. There should be nobody in our, in our church body or within the tentacles of our church body who is sitting at home sweating how they're going to pay their mortgage or feed their kids when there's plenty of us together that have the ability to help with this. And, and it's, it doesn't work if it's just like one or two of us, but if there's a mass of us that do this and people know that Gold Country Church is a place that can help them and support them through this strange and hard time, I would challenge you and encourage you to, to join with us in that. And, and, and I'm not an economist, so I'm not, I'm not getting into this like, capitalist, socialist thing. I know these are stimulus checks to stimulate the economy. I'm not, I'm not an accountant. I'm not a money guy at all. So I'm not saying what's the best use of the money, but I am saying I think we have a real opportunity here as a church community to set a standard of how we can help get people through this hard time. I think that, I think we set a portion because we're also going to keep another portion aside and we're going to, we're going to pour it back into our local, um, our local businesses, our local economy, because we really believe in them as well and love this community and really want to see it thrive at the other end of this thing. It's actually why I'm dressed casually today. I decided I was going to dress myself in fully, uh, full clothing that, that comes from local businesses. So I have my glasses from Victory Velo, my Milo hat. I have a shirt from Martin Maddox. I have pants also from, from Milo's, and I have shoes from the Auburn Running Company. So my whole, look, you don't even have to leave Auburn. You can be fully clothed right here in our community. Um, and I, my socks and underwear, no, sorry, Matthew. I actually, I bought those from Craig for a buck. So does that count as local? Okay, yeah. So, but no, I'm serious. Like, I would, I would invite you guys to do this with us. Um, and it's really, it scares me. It really scares me because, like, my sort of, like, um, nature is to say, ooh, let's just take this money and save it just in case. But as I'm saving it and I have extra and I'm, I can't justify looking around and seeing people who can't, you don't even know how they're going to make their, their bills this month. And yet I have a lot, you know, I have this extra thing sitting there just in case. But man, it's just like, what if we chose the way that the apostles chose, which was the way of Christ, and we just fearlessly and recklessly entrusted him with what we're given in abundance and see what he does with that. It's like that idea of the fish and loaves. I mean, what if we just all brought our toilet paper to the church and just threw it in a big stack, and if you needed it, you just came and got it here, right? I feel like we'd have plenty of toilet paper to go around. Um, but honestly, I would invite you guys in to do that, and it's really simple. You can go online and give to the church, and you type in the comments like COVID-19. You can also go um, and send a check-in and write in the memo COVID-19. The church already has a great system for accounting for that, 
um, and um, accountability and making sure that's all legitimate. And it's a great opportunity to help our community. I'm super thankful that our church has jumped on and just made that so, so easy. Also, continue to give to the church and give more if you can, because I know, I certainly know when this thing kicks it, we're going to need our church staff to be here and fully ready to, to lean in and, and get us through a really hard um, new way of life when we get through this thing. So, all right, I'm going to continue on. I'm already going way longer than, than I meant to, so, but I have a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to go fast. I'm going to speed up and, and kind of give you the brief of the rest of this year. I don't want you to miss it. There's so much good stuff in this passage of Acts. I actually probably, we probably should have done this over four weeks, but here we go. So we're going to pick back up. Um, so kind of this next part, so what happens, you know, these guys kind of stand up to the Sanhedrin, and it makes them really mad. It says they were furious here in verse 33, and that they wanted to put them to death. And then one of the, one of the guys, one of the Pharisees, his name is, is Gamaliel. I don't, I don't really know if, you know, I had a, with this one time, there was this professor, and he had somebody read this passage, and he was like, it's Gam- Gamaliel. I'm like, I don't, you don't know. Like, nobody really knows the name. I don't know. We're going to call him we're gonna, what, Gandalf. We'll call him Gandalf, because he was great. What's cool about Gamaliel is that he actually is referenced um, a few times in the Talmud and some earlier um, like Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures, and, and he's kind of known as one of the, the head Pharisees here, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrins, and he's really respected. People liked him, they respect him, they listened to him. He was considered a, a bit more of a liberal Pharisee in terms of like he had some kind of newish age ideas, but they, they listened to him, and he was known by everyone, and he was one of the, one of the main leaders that, that, they, that they listened to, and then he speaks up, and he says, hey, I know you guys want to, I know you guys want to kill these guys, right? I know you want to take them down, but think about that before you do it, and then he kind of goes on to tell about a couple different sort of um, revolution leaders that had rose up over the last few years, and how they rose up, and they got all these, these followers, and they came, and then it failed, and another guy did it. He, he rose up. He had all these followers that came, and then it failed over and over again. And we pick up here in verse 38 where he's still speaking to Sanhedrin. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. And his speech persuaded them. And they had called the apostles in and had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I want a, a quick sidebar here. It's kind of my second, second point. It's like a sub-point of this whole passage. Quick sidebar is I want you to notice the power, the relational power that Gamaliel, that Gandalf, wherever we're going to call him, what he had and how he used it. In, in Young Life, we like to say, we like to use this phrase a lot, earn the right to be heard. So we go into a kid's world and we earn the right to be heard. We earn their trust and their respect before we say anything. We've gotten to a place where they, they know us and respect us and trust us. We earn that right to speak into their life, but it doesn't stop there. Then you speak. And, 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 and Gam, he had a really cool relationship. Or really, people looked up to him, respected him, knew him. He had a relationship with these guys. And he stands up and, and he speaks. And he says something. He had earned the right to be heard, and he spoke up. And it was a game changer because these guys could have, been, could have been killed and it could have ended there, but he used the power of his relationship to, to help them continue to move forward. And I don't know if he was doing it for them or doing it because maybe in the back of his mind, he's like, man, maybe there's something here to what these guys are talking about. So my challenge for you is... First question, have you earned the right to be heard in someone's life? And if you have, say something. If you've earned the right to be heard in someone's life and they need that wisdom and that guidance and that love, speak up out of love and grace and truth. Don't just sit back and watch and watch them slowly die like Gamaliel could have with the apostles, but speak up, say something. My other question is, Have you done the work to earn that relationship in folks' lives where you can say something? And if not, let's all go do that. Let's be relational people who can speak wisdom and truth and love into others' lives. So we're going to back up a little bit. So I want to, but there's one really important, this is my third third point today. In in verse 39, 
Gam says something really important. This is like a huge turning point in actually, in actually a lot of the New Testament. It says, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. If it's from human origin, it will fail. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. This is a huge turning point in, in the New Testament. In fact, a lot of um, biblical scholars believe that this is where there's sort of a, a, an unspoken theme about Acts. Not unspoken. A lot of scholars have written about it. Um, this old professor I had a long time ago, his name's Mark Strauss, and he actually says it like this, the theme of Acts that Luke is trying to convey. The entire theme is that, the un, that there's an unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That there's this thing happening that's unstoppable. And it's really important, this is a really important part of the scripture, because the, the deal here is that there's tension between the followers of Christ, so the church, and the synagogue, sort of these religious Jewish leaders. There's a real tension happening, right? They're, they're both claiming to be God's people. These are, these are all Jewish folks here. They're not creating a new religion. They're all claiming, both sides are kind of claiming that they're God's people. Both are claiming that the Hebrew scriptures relate to them. And, and the, but the, the synagogue is um, sort of accusing the church or the followers of Christ that their doctrine is false, right? They might believe in the same God the Father, but this Jesus guy, that's, that's not right. Their doctrine is false. And that, okay, if you say the Messiah did come, then why are you still oppressed? Like you all act like everything's good, but you're still poor and needy and like really oppressed people. And, and how come if the Messiah came, why is there no physical kingdom? You know, a lot of, a lot of the um, early ancient Jewish people and, and even everyone who would have thought or believed in a Messiah coming thought more of a, a military, militaristic Messiah, one that would come and lead like a, a military revolt and actually physically fight and take control. So if that happened, then why is there no physical kingdom established? And, and also, the other thing they had a problem with is why are there Gentiles part of your group? Those are not God's chosen people. They don't belong. Why are they there? And, and, and there's, there's this tension. And, and, and what's happening is these guys are trying to show, like, no, there's power in this guy, Jesus, that you put to death. He actually came to life, and now he lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit, and it's real, and it's alive, and it's happening. And this is the turning point in Scripture where we start to see that proven because this Pharisee says, if this is real, if this actually is a Messiah, if this is different, then it's not going to be able to be stopped. So let's just leave it alone. And, and the amazing thing is, moving forward, it never was stopped. And to this day, it's not. It only grew. It's, it's, the, his point was proven. This, it, the, the progress is unstoppable. If you look back in history, the, the movement of, of followers of Jesus Christ has been unstoppable through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this, is, this is a really, really big deal because these guys, you know, they easily could have just, they could have been trying their best and, and working hard and, and thinking they had this thing figured out and eventually it would have failed, but it's something so much bigger than that. And because they, they, re, they leaned and relied on the God of the universe, the living creator who lived inside of them, the progress was unstoppable and it confirmed the reality of Jesus Christ in their lives when they were let go and they continued to spread his good news. So what does this mean for us? You know, I, I was thinking a lot. It's, it's really easy for us in our modern world for even well-intentioned Christian things to, to make them about man and not about God, to make them come from our own strength and energy and not God's. Right? We can do this in church through our church programs. We, I know certainly we can get wrapped up with this in my ministry of young life. We can do a really good job with the programmatic stuff where we kind of uh, can put on a really good show and we kind of know, we know even how to like reach kids and do all these things. And we could do all of that on our own strength and power because we're that good at it. We've been, been doing it that long. But that's a scary idea. And it's an idea that eventually will fail. But if it's from God, if it truly starts 
the relationship with the living God, and it's about him and his spirit moving through us, it will not fail. It will be unstoppable. I mean, imagine how we could impact our community if we all really leaned into that unstoppable progress of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? I, it's like the simplest thing. I, there's, I, could, I could actually talk about this for a long time. How do we do this? How do we make this thing that we're doing from our church community together as a congregation, how do we make this not about man, but about God? I, we could talk about this all day, but one simple thing is that we first focus on our own personal relationships with the Lord, understanding that those affect a greater community. I think what happens a lot of times is we kind of just show up maybe on Sunday and, and kind of just wait to be led, and that's kind of the thing. We kind of make it about that. But what if we all use Sunday morning was, was this time where we all gathered as folks who had spent the whole week leaning into Jesus and making our days and our lives about him? And, and it starts as simple as just starting and ending your day with, with God. If you, if you haven't done anything else yet, do that. I like my, it drives my wife crazy. I'll wake up in the morning, I'll, I'll hit snooze a bunch of times, my alarm like 10 times. But before, on the ninth time, between the ninth and the 10th, I'll kind of lay there and I'm, and I'm praying. I'm like, all right, God, like there's, here's all things today. Like here's who, how I'm feeling already. Like, will you be with me today? Will you make this day about you and not about me? And then do the same thing at the end of the day when you lay your head down and, and are thinking like, God, thank you for this day. Will you make tomorrow about you and not about me? And, and if we even at least do that, continue to lean into these little practices where we are making it not about us, about our own power, but about God. Imagine if as a group of people in a church community, we're all doing that. Imagine the unstoppable progress that would happen in our community. Our community would be would never be the same again because of it. But that happens by us actively engaging in our relationships with the Lord and then bringing that together in a community sense in, in, in all facets of it and not just kind of waiting um, to be led in that but, but really leaning into that ourselves. I think that's a really, really big deal. All right, and I'm going to wrap up here with this last part. We Kind of the, the end here. So the guys are, this is amazing that they're, it says that they're flogged and sent back, um, which, which is just crazy. It's actually, you know, the crazy thing is it's, uh, this is, the religious leaders were just doing what the law said. It actually comes out of Deuteronomy that if they, if they break the law in this manner, they're to be flogged. So they got the snot beat out of them. And then in verse 41, it says that they leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They left rejoice. They got the snot beat out of them, and they're like, they leave like, yeah, did you see that? Like the guy like hit me in the face, and then he like smoked it. They're like excited about it because they were worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, and they didn't stop after that. They still didn't stop. This is day after day in the temple courts from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, they, they, they suffered greatly for this, and they, they rejoiced about it. And now, now we're not, we're, you know, we're, I think sometimes we take this a little bit out of context. The suffering that they were actually going through was, was more of this like martyrdom um, kind of suffering. I, and I, but I still think there's an idea here of this suffering for Christ that we can even apply today in our daily lives. In fact, you know, some of these guys would have remembered once again, it wouldn't have made sense at the time, but looking back in Matthew 16, 24, when Jesus tells them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? If he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. At the time, they wouldn't know what that meant, but looking back, they're saying what Jesus is saying, what Jesus told us is do what he did, which was, which was suffer. Jesus suffered greatly for his people. And he's saying, you do the same. And in this moment, they realized, hey, we just follow Jesus' calling in our life to suffer for our people and for him. We nailed it, guys. This is exciting. We're on the right track because we're suffering. Wow. I mean, these guys actually believed and lived the words that Jesus said. What if we did that? We talk about them so much, but we rarely live them out. And I want to be clear. 
you know, I'm not, when, when, as, we, as we go into this idea of, and I'm not going to give a sermon on suffering. That's a whole nother series. I'm not getting into that. This is a very brief touch on this. And I am not a mental health expert or by any sense of the word. But there is a, a piece here, and we see it throughout Scripture, where this idea of suffering is flipped to being something that we can rejoice in and find hope in. And now he's not, he's not talking about suffering. Once again, these guys were suffering more as martyrs which means basically they were, they were suffering and they had hardships because of their faith in Christ. It caused hard things in their life. It caused pain and suffering. It, not necessarily, we're not necessarily talking about if, if a family member passes, you're going through a hard time. That, there's, there's pieces of that that you can pull in, but that's a whole other conversation. But this is literally when something in your life suffers or you go through a hardship because of your relationship with Christ. It costs you something. Jesus makes it clear over and over again that if you follow me, there's a cost. If you're truly following me, it's going to cost you something, something real. Now, we live in a day and age where, in, in, in a, a culture, a country, where we're, we're not necessarily, most of us are not going to feel physical suffering like these guys did for following Christ. But there might, there's other subtle ways that it sets in. You know, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago who was, who was telling me the story that they adopted these twins a few years back. They were four years old, and they came from a really, really hard home situation before that. They were abandoned for years, um, grew up a lot of drugs and alcohol and prostitution, the whole thing. These kids grew up in a really rough situation, and they adopted them because they felt like the Lord had put them in their life to do this. And when they said yes to it, it was not glamorous. He said, even five years later, it has been really, really hard like, it's been suffering. They said the first year was like temper tantrums, things being thrown around the house, breaking, and them just with every ounce of patience and love that they had to continue to walk through them and help them grow as individuals. And, and, and five years later, it's still hard. It's better, but it's hard. And, and it's brought, it's, it's messed their life up. It's brought suffering and pain. Yet they can rejoice because they know that they're doing the work of the Lord. It, it's this incredible backwards way of, of, looking, of looking at things. You know, it's, it's like when a, when a teenager, when you're doing youth ministry, Matthew knows this, a teenager calls you in the middle of the night because you're the only person. And in the back of your head, you're like, oh my gosh, I know what's going to happen if I take this phone call. It's going to ensue the next couple of days of just really hard stuff. And I don't really want that in my life right now. But you say yes, and you answer the phone, and you get to rejoice because the Lord counted you worthy to be the one that has to go through this hard thing with somebody. Because this is what he calls us to, to take up our cross. And so often we, we kind of avoid those scenarios because we don't like hard stuff and, and suffering for Christ, <laughs> obviously. But, but God is calling us to no, say yes, pick up that phone. Do that thing. I know it's going to be hard, but I'm with you. And this is the life I'm calling you to. And the disciples got it, and they flipped what could have been pain and hardship into the thankfulness and rejoicing. And when we're in these hard circumstances that are caused by us following the Lord, he asks us to not beat ourselves up, not, not to get down, but to rejoice. And we rejoice, our circumstances may not change, but our hearts surely will. And I think, I think if we can do this as a church body, if we can rejoice, not just as individuals, but like the apostles did, they came out hooping and hollering together, high-fiving each other. We rejoice as a community. If we spend our week saying yes to the Lord, and it might bring hardship and also great things in our life, and then we come together on Sunday morning, not as the thing, not as the one thing, but as an opportunity for us to celebrate together, to rejoice in, in, in the hardships that, that have been caused from following Christ, to rejoice and the good things that he has done through the hard stuff. To rejoice in that we all kind of let go of some fears and decided to give some money to a COVID-19 fund at church or whatever it was, and it was hard and scary to do that, but that God used it in huge ways that we can come together and rejoice and be glad, not just as individuals, but as a community. And it all circles back to what the disciples continually focused on. They did not mix this message up. They did not make it complicated. It was, simple. it was as simple as Jesus Christ and him crucified so that we can live a new way, a new life. Over and over again, 
that is what they spoke about because that is, that is what Jesus did for us. He suffered greatly. He gave his entire life up and hung on a cross and invited us into a new way of life. Just like the angel said to the apostles, go tell them about the new way of life. The apostles' leaders over and over again had, could have had the opportunity to rise up against the religious leaders who were persecuting them and fight them and beat them down, but they didn't. They just continued to take it and continue to share the love and harmony that Christ brought when he hung on the cross and suffered. They continued every day to take up their cross, and they rejoiced in it. Let's be people who do that. Let's be people who take up our cross, who fearlessly and recklessly follow Jesus. And as that brings hardships for us, that we would come together as a community and rejoice together in it. I'm going to make one quick quick plug since I have the opportunity before I pray and close this out. You guys know I do this thing called Young Life. I got a lot of hurting kids right now in this community. And when this thing gets back to normal, I'm going to need a lot of help reaching some lost, hurting kids. Uh, I would love for any one of you to jump in. And just like the disciples, you don't have to be schooled and educated. You can be, uh, you can be ordinary. And uh, the Lord will do big things with your yes. So I'd invite you into that. I, I can't leave without, without making that plug real quick. So, okay. Oh, yeah, questions time. I forgot we're doing questions. Ooh, I'm scared. Okay. Whew, questions. All right. What reason did the apostles give for their disobedience? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, it's pretty clear if we, if we go back to Acts, it's a pretty simple reason. Let me see where it says it here in the, I'll just kind of read what they said because they actually gave a reason. Um, let's see, Peter and the apostles says, we must obey God rather than human beings. And it's pretty simple. They're like, no, like God's in charge, you're not. I think it's that idea of they, they didn't fear what the world could do to them. They lived in fear of God, but a healthy fear, a fear that was based off the knowledge and the wisdom that they knew that he was good and he loved them and he cared most about them and they can trust him. And, and because of that, they didn't have to fear, they didn't have to fear man, um, but they had to obey God. And there's times, there's times where, where obeying God means maybe, maybe disobeying a command of the world. I hope that answers the question. Tim, you have any thoughts? Okay, good. From house to house seems to imply sharing life with others in our living rooms and kitchens. How do we do that with our restrictions due to COVID-19? Holy smokes, that is, right? That's killing me right now. There's like so many people I just want to go to their house and love on them. You know, you know what's really cool? Um, I, I hated it before. I still don't love it, but I'm grateful for it right now, and it's technology. I mean, honestly, you know, I, my old Young Life leader um, FaceTimed me the other day. He's, he's old now, right? And he, he figured out how to, I didn't even know this, he could FaceTime multiple people at once. He taught me that. So he, like, cared enough. He's, his generation is way outside of this, and he still took the time. He, like, Googled it or something. He FaceTimed me and my best friend, who were his Young Life kids in, in high school. He 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 told us about Jesus. He was, the, he was the one. And he FaceTimed us. He like figured it out. He like took the time. He's like, this is what I'm going to do. And it meant a lot. So he got us in this FaceTime conference call. We talked for like an hour and a half. It was awesome. It was so cool to like connect. And it was so cool even that he took the time to like go out of his way to figure out how to do this. So I think, I think to, there's, there's a lot of opportunities and platforms out there that we can, we can reach out to folks. I, one other thing I would say, so we had this new technology, also old school. If you happen to have somebody's address, like write them, write them a letter. Like I wrote this letter the other day to, to a long story, an old friend who's like a Sega mom of mine. Just like this letter I've been wanting to write forever. And for some reason that I can't like see her now, I just made me sit down and write this like three or four page long letter that I'm going to send to her. Um, so just, yeah, there's technology. There's also old school. There's tons of ways to actually in some ways be more intentional about connecting? Great question. Any others? If the government told you, oh no, cold, <laughs> told you that you could not pray, show your Bible, or talk about God in public, what would you do? That's a great, this question, what would I do? That's a hard, I don't know how to answer that. You know, I want to say that I would be like the apostles. I mean, they set a pretty clear path here of 
Um, you know, I think Jesus says a lot of times, or not a lot, but he makes it clear, like, hey, yeah, respect the government, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God's what is God's. But there's also times where Jesus, Jesus sort of defied the officials, and, and only, only when it interfered sort of with his integrity of his relationship with the Lord, where, where they were asking him to do things that were against um, or, or discounted or, or kept him from following um, the Father. That, that was kind of, and the apostles do the same thing. So I think we're blessed in this country where we really don't face this. Um, and maybe I will one day, maybe we will, I don't know. But I, it's hard for me to say what I would do. I'd love to say that I would just be defiant and just be like flogged and take it. But I don't, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a, in a country where that's, that's a reality. Um, but I, I do think, I do think what, what God is calling us to is to continue to follow him um, by reading our Bibles and, and talking about him and, and trusting him in that. But it's so easy to say when, when I'm not one who ever has to do that and actually face physical persecution for that. Good question. Hard question. What might make someone jealous of a church leader? Oh, I guess it depends on, you know, maybe Craig because his muscles makes me kind of jealous because he's taller than me. So is Matthew. Pretty much everybody's taller than me. Um, what Mike's just jealous of a church leader? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe it seems sometimes, um, you know, Tim and I have talked about this before and I know, you know, even as a leader of a ministry myself, maybe sometimes it seems like when you're up front and you're doing this thing or you're, you're constantly engaging from like a leadership position, it seems like you, you just always have it together and you're really happy and you're full of joy, right? And it's like, oh, that guy, I wish I could be like that guy. He just always has it together. His family's perfect. He always has like little pictures of him. They're perfect. It's all good. But um, I could see where jealousy would kind of set in there. I, I know the reality of that. If you're seeing that, if that's kind of the image that you're getting, that's not a true image. I know I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. Um, you know, Matthew asked about the showering thing. I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So... I don't have it together. I don't think, you know, Craig, Craig's in his flannel right now, so he's looking pretty good. He might have showered a few days ago, but yeah, maybe that's something that makes jealous, but I, just the reality of that is not, a, is, not, is not real. If you're seeing that, I'm sorry. Any other questions? Oh, yeah. What forms of opposition do Christians experience today? <laughs> that's great. Well, I mean, I, I think... Um, as you're asking that question or, or thinking about it, maybe I think that's different for every individual. Obviously, outside of America, there's still physical persecution happening for Christians, you know, at different levels throughout throughout the globe. Here in America, I would say this is a very uh, individualistic kind of thing. Um, like, how, it's kind of that question again, how does following Christ create hardships in your, in your own life? Um, I, I know, you know... It, Clearly, like, in a culture that's maybe primarily not churched, people obviously think differently of you when you're, when you're a Christian or kind of instantly get this idea of who you are and, and what you're about. Um, and, and, you know, there's some, I would say there's some opposition there in that manner. Um, I know following Christ um, sometimes, sometimes creates... Uh, s- situations where, you know, gosh, I have this money, let me, I'm going to give this money up because this person needs it and really could have used that for, for a new set of tires on my truck or something, but instead decided to give it away. So I think there's more subtle ways here in, in America, but I think thinking about that individualistically, how does that affect you? Matthew, do you have a question? Yes. Yes, I run young How has young life changed? Like, yeah. Oh, sure. I, I think, yeah, I feel what you're saying. So Matthew is asking if, looking at this in terms of young life or maybe like youth work over the last, really, I would say decade, it has evolved and changed. That's a good question, Matthew. I, you know, I would say, and one of the big things is there's a lot of ways it's changed and adapted. But you know, we live in a in a generation where 
it, it is very strange. Um, one of our big things in young life is to go to where kids are and build relationships with them, which if you're looking at that from the outside, it looks like this like 30-something-year-old dude with a beard like hanging out at Mongolian barbecue at, during lunch, like randomly talking to kids. And they're like, uh, where are you? Right? And, then, and like 15, 20 years ago, that was, that was fine. That was like, oh, this guy's, whatever, he's all right. We'll talk to him. Now it's like, everybody's like, oh, what, like, what's going on? And you're like, no, no, I just, want, I just want to share Jesus with them. I just want to be like, yeah, that's weird. That's not okay, that's not okay um, that you want, to, you want to do that. And there's a lot of reasons, a lot of good reasons for that, unfortunate reasons that that is a reality. But yeah, I would say, um, I would say that, that's been a big one for sure. Yeah, good question, Matthew. Thank you. Yep. All right. I think we're going to wrap up questions because I went, I went too long. So I'm going to pray and then invite up Pastor Craig to lead us through communion. And then Tim and I have something new for you. So please don't leave because we want you to join in with us for the next few minutes. Hey, God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this church that um, just loves and supports this community and has opened up its, its doors to continue to help people and allow us an avenue to tangibly help folks in this hard time. God, um, help us to fearlessly and recklessly follow and love you and rejoice when that creates hardships, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and for your word. Amen. Thanks, Joey. What a, what a thought-provoking time. Uh, we are so grateful that you have joined us. I want to clarify one thing. Uh, if you want to give to that COVID-19 fund online, um, go online and choose the friends and family option. Uh, you know, you, if you tithe, you, you give to the general fund, uh, but if you want it specifically to go to that, choose um, the friends and family option, and it will, uh, it will go there. And so we are grateful to partner with all of you to, to help those in need. That's just uh, who we've been as a church from day one. Uh, I want to give you a thought as we jump into a communion, and I know you're going to do communion at your house with whatever you have, or maybe you're sitting around with kids, or maybe you're by yourself. Um, I, I want to kind of give you this thought. Uh, Jesus said that he, he desired to eat that meal with them. And, you know, for us as humans, uh, we have what we call comfort food. You know, if something hits us that's really hard, if something uh, is overwhelming us, um, we, we tend to find something that brings us comfort, and food is, is definitely one of those. It may be that you like to go get some Chinese food or, or whatever. Um, but think, when you think about communion, uh, think about the disciples, how Jesus told them in John 14 to not let their hearts be troubled and not to be afraid, which was easy for Jesus to say, but not real easy for the disciples to do because the one they've been walking with and following is saying, hey, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm, I'm going away. Um, and so uh, that would have created anxiety. And, and, you know, we're just in a time right now of anxiety. Uh, but let me encourage you to look at whatever you choose or you, you have available to use for, for bread or in the cup, whatever that is, think about that as comfort food because you realize that he's already overcome. That no matter how difficult things are, no matter what we may face, and it, not, it doesn't make it any easier in, in that sense, but you, we have the ability to go back to that comfort food of the bread and the wine and be reminded that, that not only are we forgiven and we're held in his hand, but that he's always interceding for us. He's always at work. God's not sleeping. He's not slumbering. He's not bored. He's, he is tuned in to us. And so as you take communion today, as you talk with whoever it is you talk to, maybe you, you get on Zoom with some friends or uh, you do your own you know, Facebook Live with someone uh, that uh, family members and maybe in even another state, uh, Tell those stories of why communion can be comfort food to you uh, because of what he has done. And um, I think that that is a, uh, a unique, unique part of, um, of what we get to celebrate as believers in Jesus. And so I want to leave that with you. I'm going to turn it back to uh, Joey and Tim as they uh, walk us through uh, prayers of the people. will be a little bit different for folks. Um, this is kind of, there's an old liturgical idea of uh, the prayers of the people. 
that's kind of a scripted call and response that people used to do in churches. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different, but kind of based on that idea. And what it does is there's a song that we'll be singing <clears throat> that says, you hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father. And then we repeat this idea of Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, as we lift up some, um, some prayers of the people right now. And so this is, again, something that is participatory. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you can, uh, in between each of these prayers that Joey will read, um, to sing with me, to sing with us, and call out, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. We're going to sing that together in between these prayers. Um, it's a simple line. It's a great line to kind of carry with ourselves throughout the week, especially in these times, just calling out for Lord's mercy, for God's mercy, for Christ's mercy. Hear us calling, hear us calling, Abba Father. Hear us calling, hear us calling, Abba Father. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ have mercy. Jesus, we pray for the sick. Pray for healing and for comfort and peace. We lift up all those taking care of patients and all workers who make that care possible. Father, we pray for those in nursing homes, assisted living in hospitals, folks that are isolated from family, also for family who is worried and unable to visit them. We ask that you would bring them peace and creative ways to connect. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, we lift up those who find themselves in serious need in the coming months. Father, would you place them in our lives, prepare our hearts to be ready and willing to help as we can. We lift up people who are in abusive situations. They might have the courage to reach out for help, and that help would come. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Lord, we pray for the leadership of this country, that they would be filled with wisdom and discernment, with compassion and kindness. They would make decisions with all people's health and well-being in mind, regardless of class or race. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Father, we pray for those without homes that would feel your presence, that churches would provide consistently for their needs. And as Christians, we imagine ourselves in their position and lead with love and grace. Finally, God, we pray for those without work as a result of this virus. Pray that you would teach us to be the community you desire us to be. Those in need would be willing to ask for support. And that those who are able would give sacrificially and gladly. Hear us call, hear us call, Abba Father. Hear us call, hear us call, Abba Father. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. 
Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Lord, thank you for this time. God, be with us as a church body and a church community that we would fill the needs all around us, God, that you'd open up our hearts and our eyes to how and when we can do that, Jesus. Thank you that you are good and that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, visit our website at goldcountrychurch.org.